Timothy um, every week. And so we invite you to do that. We have memory verses. There's a reading plan card out at the hub. We'd love for you to grab and just begin uh, doing that. And if you aren't new to our church and you've yet to start that, um, you're halfway through. You can just jump in. I mean, we're just, you know, just jump in with us tomorrow morning. I think it'll be valuable for you just to saturate ourselves uh, with the truths uh, of God's Word. And so uh, I'm going to be honest uh, this morning uh, up here to preach. And I usually hope I'm never like lying to us intentionally, but be extra honest. How's that uh, this morning? Man, my heart is um, having a hard time waking up uh, this morning. I don't know if you ever have days like that. Uh, last night, man, I was sitting on the couch uh, with my wife, and we were watching The Voice. That was probably part of the problem with my heart, uh, um, but I'm just saying. Uh, we're watching The Voice um, on our Apple TV thing, and man, I just said, I don't know what's wrong with me, um, but I just, I'm not ready to preach in the morning. <laughs> and I don't know if you're comfortable with a pastor being that honest with you, but I mean, I've done my prep. I'm not, not ready like that. I mean, I feel like I've got something to say, uh, but my heart's not ready. I never want to get up here. Uh, and just jump into saying things like that I've prepared, and I, I pray there are right things <laughs> that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but my heart, like I want to believe this. I want for the urgency that ought to be true when we gather together and the hunger for God's Word. Like, man, I just, I, I want it, and my heart's just not fully there, but yet it's true, and it's real, and it's worth uh, submitting to. And so like even back there singing, like I could just feel my heart starting to just to wake up a little bit. Um, but that's just where I'm at. And I, so if I say that, one, by way of confession, and but two, just to say, um, following Jesus is sometimes it's a, it's a fight. It's a war. It's a battleground of our mind that we've got to keep believing what's true, even when our emotions would tell us otherwise. And um, this week, um, it's kind of getting back in a normal uh, rhythm of life for me. I spent the last 10 days uh, with a couple uh, friends in uh, Southeast Asia. So I think you guys may have heard that. We were commissioned out at our family meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. So I hope you guys were there for that. But um, So in an area of the world that, um, in one particular area, 0.8% Christian. I mean, 0.8. I mean, that <laughs> 0.8% Christian. I mean, it's just so lost, and they have no access to the gospel. And then one particular part of the world that uh, not only are they unreached with the gospel, but to come to faith in Christ means to walk away from literally everything and be persecuted for your faith and to be sitting in a room um, in an area of the world that if they would link that we are there for the spread of the gospel and to train pastors that we, we would get deported, but the church there would really suffer uh, a great deal. And we're sitting there in the back of this guy's house in the middle of a farm in this country and with 30 or so pastors that have risked their life to get to us, for us to train them in the Bible. Uh, they have no access to these things. For many of them, it's the first time they've ever received any kind of training um, at all. And I just want to let us know, I mean, we, you hear us talk all the time, that we want to be a church for the nations, that we exist for this great commission to go and to make disciples um, of all nations, that it is a command to love Johnson City. That's why we're in this room, is to love our city, to make disciples here in this city. But we are very intentional and strategic to say, and we want to continue to grow in, that what we do here must affect places of the world that don't have access um, to the things that we have access to, that there's places in the world that you could live, you could die, and never meet a Christian, much less even hear the name of Jesus. And so, but in the midst of those places, in the midst of no access to the gospel uh, and just darkness, 
uh, in the midst of intense persecution. I mean, I'm talking ripped away from every right that it means to be human, of food, clothing, electricity, education for their children, uh, societal just push out, um, and some of them even their life and imprisonment. Um, The gospel is thriving. (laughs) The church is growing and it's spreading. And they're saying things like, not to ask prayer requests to get their needs met, although they have intense needs. They're asking for help to endure persecution because when they're persecuted, the gospel is getting to places with this communist government that they would never get to without the persecution. So they're praying for strength and endurance to continue to be persecuted in a way that gives glory to our God. And even in some places they say, hey, if you all will stop spreading out, you Christians, we'll kind of make it a little bit easier on you. And they're saying, no, we're not going to stay in one place. We're going to continue to spread out because Jesus has commanded us to go. And even if it means our lives and intense persecution, we will not stop. And we're going to continue on with this message. And so I just want to bring greetings from my brothers and sisters. I told them I was going to do this with you, is that the gospel is on the move. And God has a people of Every people of this world, in the midst of great need, the gospel is thriving. The Spirit of God is at work, um, is at work. And I was struck by so many things the last 10 days, but maybe more than anything is their hunger for God's Word. And we're cramming in. We're teaching two days straight uh, in these three different countries, and early in the morning to late at night, just back to back to back to back to back. And they're craving it man they're writing down every word and they're so hungry and uh the partner there with said man you better not mess this up and i was like oh thanks brother i appreciate that and he said no no they're traveling for days risking their lives and some of them maybe even the authorities are getting word and waiting on them when they arrive back home but they're coming here because they're so hungry for god's word and they're going to teach whatever you say i'm like Oh my gosh, you know, like no one listens to me at home so I can say whatever I want to say, you know, but here they're actually listening, taking notes. I'm kidding, I know y'all care. But like, they're like really, really serious about this. And they're saying, man, they're going to go teach it. You could just see the hunger and the light bulbs come on. And man, I was just so um, struck by their hunger and their love for Jesus in the midst of persecution. I was sitting there in some moments listening to their stories and going, I don't know if I have this kind of faith. Like I want this kind of faith. And I hope that the faith family here at Tri-Cities would, if it comes to the point where it costs us something to follow Jesus, like really costs us something, like is our faith rooted in something real? Or when the pressure kind of hits up, are we out? You know, like is this real to us? I mean, is this life or death for us? Would we cram into my house and listen to me teach or whoever teach, even if the authorities could come in and just literally put us all in prison and perhaps take our lives, like would we still gather together? <laughs> like this would we still be that hungry I, I, I hope so I want that to be true of us uh, and so I'm just gonna be honest I always have this every time I go overseas and and see God's activity around the nations something stirs in me of oh my goodness this is what we're supposed to be about is to see all nations praising King Jesus uh, but then there's also something that comes to be true if you've ever traveled um, maybe you've seen this you come back to American culture and you can get a little cynical <laughs> of just some of the ways we do things. I mean, there's good and bad in every culture, don't get me wrong, um, but there's a lot that we can learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And I love America and I love our church. I mean, I love us, uh, but like, man, there, there's a lot of gaps um, and inconsistencies uh, in my heart and I think 
in not just our church. I mean, I think we're pursuing faithfulness, but I think in the church of the West, um, for us to really submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. And so today's text, I mean, by God's sovereign providence, is really heavy and good and a challenge to us. And so I can't not see 1 Timothy chapter 4 uh, without seeing it through the lens of kind of what I've experienced over the last 10 days. And so I know you didn't go to Asia. I did, but I'm sorry. You're going to have to like put up with me this morning um, and these challenges. But I, I, I pray that we can let this passion stir for what God's calling us into as a faith family. No matter what happens in, with November election cycles and whatever happens of America, whatever happens in the next 20 years of our country, um, is our faith rooted in something that's deep? Or is this a game uh, or something that we just do and we believe? I, I, I want us to have a passion rekindled for the glory of God and the mission of God that he's called us into and submitting to the word of God, but also just kind of have some life support, if you will, to what the church is. That I don't know if you're cynical or bitter or just kind of mm, going through the motions. Anybody get in that rut? Anybody with me? Two people? Five people? Okay. Oh, the five of us can uh, sulk this morning together. Uh, but like getting these ruts of we come to the things, we do the things, we go to the groups, and we do everything that our website tells you to do. You know, you're on a serve team and you're trying to be missional and you come to the gatherings and you're doing these things. But yeah, there just seems to be something missing. Anybody? with me i mean like man and that's not a bad thing it's not that our visions off i think we're being faithful but the point is is there's a mission that god's called us into and yes it's overseas but it's right here in the muck and the mire of everyday life and i don't want us to settle and i don't want us to just um either say you know what fooey on this whole thing i don't think it's true or i don't want us to just even buckle up and try harder like i want us to really just question the things that we need to question about our lives and have a hard look of is this true for me i can really really get down in the nitty-gritty of what we believe and how we're living and if there's ever a gap between those two things so listen church if there's ever a gap between what we say we believe and my Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. <laughs> then we've got to ask ourselves the question, why? Like, if this is true, then shouldn't my life be increasingly, progressively submitting um, to these two things? And I, I, I think that's their heart. I think that's why we're here, right? I mean, I don't think we need to be reminded of that. But yet we do. We need to be reminded of that. To say, we're not where we should be. And that's all of us. I mean, because we're never going to be there. If that was the case, then we would be in glory with him. And he would be completely making us new. So let's all acknowledge that we're not where we should be. Okay? But where are we going? And what does that look like? What does Christ-likeness look like in your life? In your life? In your life? What does the mission look like lived out in your family? And we've got to look at saying, okay, I'm not where I should be. Praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Amen? Anybody with me on that? Like, we're growing. But what do we do in the gap? And I think what we've got to continue to do, it's a progress to say we're going to increasingly repent and say, Jesus, would you change us? And I think First Timothy 4 helps us with this. And it's, again, it's not a one-fix-all. You preach one sermon and then everything. No, no, no. It's a progress. And we've got to be patient with ourselves because God is patient with ourselves. But what Paul's doing in this book, uh, this letter to this young pastor, Timothy, to a church in Ephesus, uh, thousands of years ago or so, and it's very relevant to us today. And today's text um, is m- more than probably any of the other chapters that we read. He's addressing the pastor. 
Uh, Timothy is the pastor. And so everything that you're reading in 1 Timothy is addressed to the church. But he's talking to the pastor of how to lead the church to be this family of faith. Of Here's what it looks like, how you ought to behave as the family of God. Jeremy walked us through that um, last week. Here's what it looks like to be the church. But this week, he's really getting into Timothy's grill. And he's saying, like, as the pastor, you are to set the spiritual pace of the church. Um, this is what this looks like for us. And we've seen in chapter 3 that the pastors and the elders, we saw the qualifications of, for what it means to be an elder of the church, is not mean be a super Christian or some elite group of people. It literally means that all of these qualifications, with the exception of being able to teach, is really true for all of us. I mean, it's just the mark of a mature follower of Christ. So David Brewer walked us through showing us that these qualifications to have qualified leaders is not saying this spiritual elite group of people, but it's to say all of you should be pursuing these things. But if the men are going to be leading the church, they have to be examples in these things. Setting the spiritual pace. If you've ever run like a 5K or something, you want to find the guy that's holding up the sign with whatever pace that you're running. You've got to keep up with that dude if you want to keep your time. And so that's what a pastor's call to do is to be first in what we're all called to be and do. And we're to lead out and to equip you to be able to be these kind of people. And so 1 Timothy 4 is true for all of us. Like it's the church. I mean, all these things, these admonitions and these charges, is true for you. You've got to be on guard against these things and you have to fight for these things. But it is true that the responsibility, first and foremost, falls on me. And by God's grace, not just me at this church, but we have a plurality of men um, that are serving you as your pastors. And I want to be this kind of pastor for you. Um, I want to be this kind of follower of Jesus for me is to teach these things. I mean, because there's some warnings here and there's some hard truths here. And I want us to, to listen and I want us to submit uh, to them as I'm, I mean, just been wrecked by chapter four over the last couple of weeks looking into it. So let's just jump in and walk through it. I'll be kind of all over the place at first, but then we'll just kind of walk through uh, sequentially, and let's just jump in. There's a lot we need to say uh, this morning. But First Timothy chapter four, verse one, it says, "Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith." So here's how heavy this is. He goes, "Listen, don't be surprised that some people start out following Jesus and then walk away from Jesus. Like falling away is a real thing. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like I don't want my faith to prove to be not real." Uh, Paul says in another, chat, another book, they came out from among you because they were never of you. They walked away because they never had genuine saving faith. I don't want to see any of us to hear a report that you're not believing anymore, that you've kind of chalked this up to be a fairy tale or not worth it. And so he says that in the latter times, some will. Some are going to leave um, the faith. And so he's going to give us some admonitions of what it looks like to endure, to remain faithful. So here's the first thing we've got to acknowledge together today is that we must recognize the tactic of our enemy. We must recognize the tactic of our enemy. Let's keep reading in verse 1 down to verse 5. He says, how are they going to depart from the faith? Well, here's what happened with them. They devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require absence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created, created by God rather, is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it, those things are made holy by the word of God in prayer. So here's a couple 
uh, insights. We can't unpack this when we could do a series on those five verses, but we've got to move on and try to hit all of chapter four today. Uh, but any way of thinking that contradicts Scripture is straight from the pit of hell. And that's kind of heavy language, but I think that's consistent. He says, listen, these teachings of demons is not that like a demon showed up in their house and they listened to them. Like that's not what he says. They were listening to false teachers. They were going against God's word. And Paul ups the ante and says, they're not just guys that miss the mark. Like these are teachers of demons. So to walk away from scripture is quite literally to be a disciple of Satan rather than a disciple of Jesus. That's how deep this is. So notice the description of, of those who believe the enemy's lies. He says they're deceitful, these lies. So Satan is trying to pull people away from believing the truth. And then these people are teaching other people to pull them away from the truth. That's how the enemy works. He says these people are insincere. They're liars. They have a seared conscience. So nothing's even bothering them and their sin anymore. And then they said they have a twisted view of a God and his gifts. So they're saying things like, hey, don't get married. And saying that was from God. And they're like, but I think God said marriage was a gift. You know, <laughs> like, why are you telling me that? But the false teaching, it began to, to twist and distort God's good design. So that's what he's saying. That everything that comes from God is a gift from his hand. And any teacher that tells you otherwise is speaking on behalf of Satan. <laughs> Man, that, that's, that's heavy, heavy language here. And so he says, listen, if you're going to be drawn away from truth, anybody that's not speaking according to this is a disciple of Satan, um, listening and voicing him. Here's why. So to speak lies and to, and to twist God and his design, here's what they were saying. Hey, don't eat these foods. You say, hey, but God gave me these foods. Why can't I eat them? And they said, no, 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 don't do it because these are some rules that God never said, but we're going to make these, these rules. Or don't get married because, and they probably had some good spiritual reason for that. But again, God never said that. God has given marriage as a gift. So that's why Paul's saying nothing is unholy. If you're giving it with thanksgiving, if every gift from God is to be received with thanksgiving from God. But listen, this is the tactic of the enemy all the way back from the beginning. Do you remember Genesis 1, 2, and 3? When God created all things good, he had given all of these good gifts to his people. You know what the enemy did? Do you remember? And what did he say to, to Eve to make her uh, tempted away from God? Did God really say? Remember that? He twists God's word. And then he says, hey, you know the real reason that God doesn't want you to follow him and believe him? You know why he's really giving you these rules? Why he's really giving you these things? It's not because he's good. <laughs> and it's not because these are gifts to be enjoyed. He's trying to keep you from something. That if you don't eat from that tree, so to speak, that was the illustration in Genesis. If you don't do that, you know what? You're going to become like God. And God doesn't want you to be like that. So he's keeping this from you. And how in the world this happens today, every day. And it's happening in this moment. And it's happening all throughout the week. That if we're veering off, that we're believing the lies of the enemy. That's saying to us, listen, God's not good. And you can't trust him. It's, it's the tactic of Satan. And any teaching of a false teacher that may rise up in our church or any church that would say these things, or, or even, listen, the false teacher that I think is in our heart that would tell ourselves this. God's not good, and you can't trust him. Um, it's the lie. He's been doing it <laughs> since humanity has existed. And I think that's what you see here is they were having false teaching that was leading them away from the goodness of God 
and the gifts of God to be enjoyed. They were twisting it. Uh, that's what's true for us. That's why people have fallen away. is because they got a wrong view of God, and then everything else became distorted in life. That's what happens. That's why he says in verse 7, notice with me in the first part of verse 7 of chapter 4, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Nothing to do with them. Like, don't even play around with them. Get away from anything that can lead you astray. Because these are the stakes that are, are, um, are at stake here. And then instead, he says, we are to be good servants that he mentions in verse 6. So go back with me in verse 6. It says, if you put these things before the brothers. So he's charging Timothy to go to the leaders of the church and to remind and to teach truth. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I don't have time, but man, that, that phrase, if you put these things before, is the same phrase in the Greek that um, it uses in the book of Acts when the apostles stretched out their necks for the people, um, risking beheading. So here's, here's how, what he's saying. He goes, if you put these things before the people, it's as if you lay yourself out there in vulnerability. It's this I picture of laying out on the guillotine, about ready to get your head cut off. That kind of vulnerable openness Honesty, transparency, it's like if you put these things before the brothers, if you are rawly honest with the church, vulnerable, holding nothing back, then you're going to be good servants of Christ. You're not going to fall away and you're not going to become disciples of the enemy. You're going to endure and remain faithful and be a good servant doing what God's called us to do. And you're going to continue to the end because he's holding on to you. And that's what we want to do. We want to put these things out to say, my goodness, how can we wrestle and not be those who believe lies and fall away, but instead continue and be good servants. <laughs> How do we do that? Well, let's jump down to the end of this text. And I think this, if there's any kind of a theme verse that sums up what Paul's saying in this chapter, I, I would probably say it's this. Um, verse 16, he says, Keep a close watch on yourself. And keep a close watch on the teaching." Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he says, instead of being devoted to false teaching that corrupts your soul, pay careful attention to yourself. To yourself literally is your soul. So has anybody asked you in a while, how's your soul? That's a pretty provocative question. Like, How is the state of your soul right now? And then it says to keep watch on your teaching. And so, okay. How's your heart? How's your soul? How are you? Not what you're doing. How are you? How are you in God right now? How are you seeing God? What's the state of your soul? How's your soul? But then he says, keep watch on your teaching. Because out of the state of your soul comes your ministry and what you do. And so again, he's talking to pastors here, but I think it applies to all of us indirectly. What are you communicating with your life? Is it true? Is it good? Is it in accordance with uh, the truth. And so here's the, the stakes here. Why do we endure? Why can't we quit? Why are we not to get lazy in this pursuit? He says, because by so doing, you will save yourself and you will save others. Right? We're talking about salvation here. Eternity. That if we're not keeping watch on ourselves, and if we're not keeping watch on the ministry and what our teaching, what we're saying, um, what's result is our salvation but also the salvation of others. That is what God is calling us into. That is why that when you are become a Christian, you just decide to follow Jesus, why God doesn't just take you away. You ever thought about that? 
Like it would be so much better to be with God and not have to endure this. Why are we still here? Because if we're with him, we're going to be like him, and he's going to make us fully mature. And so, Well, the answer is that there's a mission here, that God is rescuing people. And so if we're not keeping watch on ourselves and our teaching, that people aren't going to be rescued. And he's given us the great commission to go. And let's make no mistake that even if we fall short, God's going to get his glory, and he's going to save people. He doesn't need us in this, but we are going to miss out on what God's doing in the world if we don't keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching. So what does this look like? And I think I have like eight or something ridiculous points, okay? So you said, oh my goodness, hope you brought a snack, as always. All right, it's been two weeks, so I gotta catch up with you guys. Um, Here's number one, you ready? We must fill our spiritual hunger with nourishment from God's word. We must fill our spiritual hunger with nourishment from God's word. Verse six B says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That word trained literally means to be nourished. The word trained, some of your translations may say that, to be nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That word nourished, here's what it it means. Here's the idea. Um, The word nourished literally has the idea of being reared or brought up or to be infused with life. So it's this picture of like um, a parent with a child rearing, bringing up their kids in the ways of the Lord. It's the same uh, verb tense, and it's a passive active. So why are we in English class? What in the world? Hang with me. Passive meaning it's happening to you. You're not initiating it. It's happening to you. And active means it's an ongoing process that's never going to stop. It's a process. So he says, hey, you are nourished. Your source of life, if you're ever going to grow and be mature, It's only going to be from the words of truth. Only. The word of God is what's going to train you or literally to nourish you, to be your source of life. This is such a beautiful reality. It's this that, listen, God is our father and we are his kids. And he's bringing us up from spiritual babies to maturity. And you know the way he nourishes us? The way he feeds you is by his word. He's literally giving you everything that you need. He's raising us and working out what the life that he's put in you only by the word. So it's 1 Peter 2. Peter would agree with this. He's like, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it, by that milk, by the word, you may grow up into salvation. I don't know if you've been around a newborn. <laughs> Newborns long for milk. Like if my boy's on a newborn anymore, he's pushing a year old. But man, when that kid's hungry, he's hungry. All right, and he's gonna let you know he's hungry. There ain't no option. Give me my food. Um, and it's like, I don't know if I'm that way in the morning when I wake up. Like if I don't get in the word, well, my wife will probably tell you that. Like Derek, you need to go get nourished a little bit. Okay, you're like Bo crying all the time. Like go get in the Bible. You're being a, you know what? Um, so. I don't know if I can say that up here, but I just did. Um, So like, do you see it that way? Hunger, craving. Like if I don't get with my God in the word, I'm going to starve to death today. My spiritual life is based upon me seeing him right here. And I'm going to get my life and my nourishment from his word. What place does God's word have in your life? Do you approach God's word flippantly? Or is it an optional addition to your life? Or do you, is it a matter of spiritual life and death? 
Like, if I don't eat, I've got no hope. That is the reality. And I think it's why we walk around so malnourished. It's because he said, hey, I'm trying to grow you up into spiritual things. But your food, if you neglect your food, you're not going to have energy to do what I've called you to do. All right, we got to keep going. Number two. Oh, man, I could do series on each one of these, but we have to go. We must overcome our weaknesses with strength from God's power. So verse 7b, he says, rather train yourself for godliness. So here's what the word godliness means. You ready? A God-centeredness in everything. It's a God-consciousness in everything. It's, it's saying that if you want to be godly, it means that your, everything in your life is saturated by God. That there's no part of you that's not just oozing, literally, with God and who He is and what He's doing. That you see God everywhere and you're interacting with Him everywhere. It's that idea of praying without ceasing. It's every part of my life surrendered to, enjoying, worshiping, loving my God. That's what godliness is. So that changes maybe some of the way we grew up, kind of in a legalistic church. So godliness is like a bunch of rules we got to follow. That's a different definition, isn't it, of godliness. It's to be saturated by God. To see him for who he is. So listen, if you want that, you say, man, that does not describe my last week. It does not describe my experience with the church. Well, he doesn't just say, rather drift into godliness. <laughs> does he? You know, you got to train yourself for godliness. Like if you want your life to be God conscious, soaked in who he is, praising him, becoming like him. Listen, you've got to work at it. You got to train. That's why in verse 8, next time he's going to, next verse, he's going to equate this with bodily exercise. He's going to use that as an analogy. I don't know if anybody works out. Clearly, I don't. Okay, but like some of us here do. (laughs) Working out is a very violent process, right? You're literally ripping your muscles when you lift weights. That's why it's terrible, right? Like we knew what we were doing ourselves. Like this can't be good for me. Um, That's why I don't do it. (laughs) But like you're ripping your muscles, so that they can grow back stronger and leaner and cut and all that stuff. Get a Band-Aid, that dude's cut, okay? Like that. Um, so some of y'all get that later. Um, and when you work out and when you run, what's happening? Your heart rate's getting elevated and doing whatever stuff's happening with your metabolism stuff, whatever. Some of you physiologists can help me. But it's helping you, okay? But you're running and going, this is death. But it's actually helping your life. And so that's what he says. It's like following God. Habitual, disciplined, every day, <laughs> ripping <laughs> yourself apart to be, have life and have flourishing. That's what he says. So why do we think that it's easy? It's not. And I think it's why some of us start, you know, two weeks in and we're like, mm, forget this workout plan. My biceps aren't huge or whatever. And it's like, ain't nobody lifted weights for two days and got shredded. You know, like it takes time. In a process, but you've got to work at it. And it's all throughout this text. Just, let's just do a journey here. I think there will be on the screen. Verse 10, for to this end, we toil and we strive. That sounds pretty hard. <laughs> Verse 13, devote yourselves. It's like a discipline, workout. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. It's just like if you're in a pool. There, there ain't no like separation from the water. You are immersed in the water. And that's what it's like to be immersed in these things, in God's word. Verse 16, he says, persist in this. So, again, do you see 
um, your life that way with following Jesus? Do you see that any type of effort is legalism? I think I'm talking to some people that that might be true in our generation. It's true of like, if I'm trying and working really hard, that's what I'm afraid of being. I don't want to be this legalistic, fuddy-duddy, like my relationship with God is about a relationship. It's not all these rules I've got to follow. But the reality is you're never going to have a depth of relationship if you don't put the work in. You, if those of you guys that are married, how does that work for you? I like to say, I'm going to have an intimate, close marriage, but we're never going to spend time together. And sometimes it's not all skipping through the daisies. Sometimes it's work. Can I get a witness, married folk? Especially you ladies, you can uh, elbow and it's fine. Um, here's a question. Are you putting the same amount of energy into your relationship with God as you put in other things? Are you pursuing at that kind of level of intensity? And so let me just, oh, this is humble. I'm, I'm, I'm just the, mail, the mailman, okay? So don't throw stuff at me. What are your excuses of why you're not? Um, I just got back from an area of the world where they have every excuse in the world to not follow Jesus, and they have no excuses. They're just running hard. Um, man, devotion persists in these things. Train yourself for godliness. I think some of us, we want to be close to God, but we're not willing to put the work into what it means. And it's not because God's running from us. It's just because I don't know that we want him at that kind of level. And I'm praying God does that in our faith family. Um, third, and just so you know, I'm not going to get through all of this. So th- I'll put the notes up and you guys can look. So don't get nervous. We'll go to lunch soon. Uh, we must lift our short-sighted perspective to see through the lens of eternity. Verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the one to come. He says, listen, it ain't wrong to work out. It's not wrong to pursue other stuff in life. But godliness is much more important because, listen, you may work out, but eventually you're going to die. <laughs> and the most healthy person in this room, like all the working out in the world is not going to fix that and it's going to fade away you know, when you're 90 you still might be in pretty good shape but you ain't going to be in the same shape as you were at 30 it's just the reality of it that we're going to decay so he's like, hey yeah take care of yourself it's of some value pursuing things in this world are some value but listen godliness is of ultimate value why because it doesn't fade he says it gives promise of this life that following jesus has everything to do with your everyday life It's better. Jesus is better. We just sang it. Because listen, lift your short-sighted perspective up a little bit and you got to see through the lens of eternity that one day all of us will live somewhere forever, either apart from him or with him, either by the skin of our teeth, by the grace of God, or saying, listen, I wasted my life and I'm going to heaven because of the grace of God and because Jesus worked for me, but my whole life was absolutely wasted because I lived from what was right in front of me, not in light of eternity. He goes, listen, you can devote yourself to this exercise, and I think the correlation would be to anything in this life, and they're not bad. They're good. Please do it. But he goes, listen, if you do that to the neglect of this, it's foolish. Our life is a blip on the radar, and then eternity forever. Will your life count then? So I've heard, uh, I think it was Martin Luther, uh, so I didn't hear him, I read it. <laughs> if I heard Martin Luther, that'd be kind of creepy, he's dead. Um, so like, uh, uh, I'm not that close to the Lord, uh, clearly. So like, he says, live this day in light of that day. 
That day being when you stand before your God and you live this day in light of that day, what are you living for? Are you living today in light of then when I don't want to stand before my God with regrets? I don't want to say that I led a church or led my family in life uh, out of fear or insecurities or comfort or God help us our own agenda. I want to stand before God and say, God, I know I made a mess of things and I'm glad you're sovereign, but I did the best I could with what you gave me. We try to take you seriously. When you said it, man, we're, we're like, how do, what does this look like? I want to be that kind of people. Um, are you living today in light of that day? Uh, I don't know what to do. I've got to skip some stuff here. Uh, let's go to verse 10. It says, um, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, command and teach these things. So here's the, another statement for you. We must reject doubt and passivity by our worship of God and living for his mission. So here's what he says. How are you going to toil and strive? <laughs> What's going to be the, the gas in your tank that will keep you from giving up? What does it say? For to this end we toil and strive because... Somebody read it for me. Everybody out loud. What does it say? Because we have our what? Hope set on the living God. That's the only hope that we have is that if we see God for who he is. And then he says, listen, you got to see what God's doing in the world. You got to see God for who he is. He's the living God, that he's true no matter what happens in November. Whoever is our next president, he's sovereign. No matter what happens in our, this life, he is the God of all hope. Because it's who he is. But then he's doing something in the world. He's saving people. And that's all people. Every people of this world, that's who he's saying. I want all peoples to see me for who I am. So now, Timothy, command and teach these things. That kind of harkens back to Great Commission language, isn't it? To go to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So identification with this God, this living God. And then he says, teach them to observe all that I have what? Commanded you. And so it's this idea that Paul, I think he has this picture of the Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. <laughs> and he says, hey, he's doing something in the world. And so you command and teach these things. In other words, be obedient to the Great Commission. Teach with the authority of Jesus. <laughs> Not in our authority, but the authority of the resurrected Christ. And we say, church, people of God, brothers and sisters, this is true. He is true. So we must go, and we've got to live our lives for this. No matter what happens, we've got to submit ourselves to the authority of Christ, which is the word of Christ, to see the mission of Christ advance, which is the worship of Christ. That's what your life is for. Are you living for that? C.S. Lewis said, it's not that our desires are too strong, but they're far too weak. It's not that we're craving things wrongly. It's that we just don't see the right things about who God is. Um, is and so in verse 12 he says let no one despise you for your youth it's this idea that says listen we must not let our inadequacies keep us from trusting god's all-sufficiency here's here's what i mean here's what i mean by that statement we must not let our inadequacies keep us from trusting god's all-sufficiency timothy for him he was a young pastor probably pastoring people older than him and i kind of relate to that <laughs> a lot um and maybe people could have said, hey, you don't have the experience to lead us. Maybe that was happening, I don't know, in the church at Ephesus. And maybe Timothy was riddled with insecurities and fears of going, they're probably right. 
<laughs> you know, like I don't know what I'm doing as a pastor. And, he goes, and Paul says, Timothy, don't let your inadequacy, that may even be real, keep you from being faithful. Let no one despise you for your youth. And so for you, it might not be youthfulness. I'm looking out in the room, and so it's definitely not true for some of you. Uh, youthfulness, um, sorry, just reality. Um, like, so like, so, so what, is your, what is your thing? So if Paul were to look at you and say, hey, let no one despise you for this. Like, don't let this thing keep you from doing this. Because I know some of you, listen, I know because just because I'm up here doesn't mean that my heart doesn't think this way. I've been wrestling with this all week. As you hear these things, you go, man, okay, it's pretty convincing. Eternity, God's worth it. He's told us what to do. But that doesn't apply to me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I'm not like you or that person or whatever that image is of your mind. It's whatever you're supposed to be. And you're going to let your weaknesses and your fears keep you from jumping in to God's adventure for your life. And you're going to let past hurts and you're going to let cynicism keep you from following Jesus and really jumping in. And I'm just imploring and begging all of us, myself included, to not let that happen. I think that's why Paul's saying that. Don't let anybody despise you for your youth because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So don't get so wrapped up, Timothy, church, Derek, in all that you're not to the point that you forget all that God is. Don't let that happen. So then he says in verse 12, and I promise I'm going to close with this, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So here's my little statement that I've put with this verse. We must be done with empty rhetoric or empty talk and allow Jesus' life to be pressed out in our lives. So he's got this awesome beautiful chapter where he's telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, it matters what you teach, bro. Like, teach truth. Don't hold it back. Teach truth. But I love how he, he ends, um, where I'm going to end with this, and it says, but you better let that message change you. Don't become so orthodox <laughs> in your teaching that that gospel hasn't gotten down deep in you. If the gospel that we herald with our lips is not changing, listen, the way we talk I mean, this is painfully practical. So look at the way you speak. Man, I was, yesterday we tried to go to the Apple Festival in Irwin and it was raining and I was being such a little boy. <laughs> I was like just frustrated and I just didn't respond well to my wife and I was impatient with my son and wanted to blow the horn at people in Irwin and just like, man, I was so frustrated at myself yesterday because the things that came out of my mouth was not consistent with what I believe. So I had to just repent and say, God, I want my speech to reflect you. I want to be an example in the way I talk. I want to be an example in my conduct, the way I live. I want to be an example in my love, the way I treat other people, and my sacrificing for the good of others. I want to be an example in my faith that the gospel changes the way that I view God and the way I obey him. And then I want to be an example in purity, that I actually want to be a real person, um, I see this a lot in the church because I've grown up in and around the church. And I am convinced we spend a lot of effort and energy trying to look like we're changed without actually being changed. You ever felt that? Like, you just feel like you've got to put a mask on, you've got to be a certain way. And we put so much energy into that. When what if the gospel allows us to remove the mask and the pressure's off and we could just say, this is who I am, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to believe Jesus really did live the life I couldn't live. 
He did it for me. He died the death that I deserve, and he rose again, and I'm his child, and he loves me, and he's empowered me with his spirit to do this. And so I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to make sure these gaps between what I believe and how I'm living begin to get filled, not with just my effort, but with Jesus' work for me. And I'm going to throw myself on Jesus to say, Jesus, you've got to change me. You've got to be this for me. Man, I think there's something freeing about that. And that is not, don't take our sins seriously. I mean, if you just heard a sermon on work hard, fight, but resting that he's already fought for you. And he's already done the work. I think it's what it means to be an example, to say, I'm going to live my life consistent with who he is. And it's not up to me to make it happen. It's up to me just quitting trying to do it and to let his spirit, his life, be pressed out through my life. That is good news. Amen? That's the gospel. And so I want to invite us to bow. We're going to sing a song of response as we head out uh, today. Uh, we're going to be quick about it, uh, but not rushed, okay? So we're going to be quick to be respectful of your time, but we're not going to rush in this moment because um, Pastor Derek preached too long, okay? So we're going to sit in this and listen um, to what the Holy Spirit right now is saying to you. Not because of me, but because of the Word of God. Um, the invitation for all of us today is to come, um, to come to Him. I mean, He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his promise to you. And so that, the question for us is, will we be so honest to say, I'm going to stop working long enough that I can come and rest in Jesus' work for me? I'm going to stop pretending that, and trying to be the Savior for everybody in my life and to fix myself, and I'm going to trust that Jesus is my Savior, that he's done this for me. And listen, that kind of rest is going to fuel obedience. Some people say, Derek, if you really preach grace, then people are going to live however they want to. <laughs> they're not going to actually take you seriously. and They're not going to follow Jesus. But I think the opposite's true. When you really see grace, that he's paid it in full, uh, then it fuels our effort that we really can train ourselves for godliness. Because then, listen, all the work, all the work that you're called to do, all this training, all this discipline, all this effort, this mission to sacrifice our comfort and risk all things to see his glory known among the nations why in the world would we do that listen it's not because you got to earn God's love or God needs you <laughs> to do this no 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 it's you have God's love you have it fully because of Jesus he's given it to you so I got to work well not to strive to be something you work out of who you already are the gospel is the only message in the world that says that. Like, here's who you are, now be that. Not, you better try really hard. You better, if you don't do this, God's going to get mad at you. Man, that's not the gospel. There's work to be done and there's sacrifices to be made. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to die. So this invitation is to an altar, but it's where, when you die, is where you find your life. So he is our life. So we're going to sing this song uh, together. So come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, now would be a great time to think about the claims of Christ and why are you not submitting to him? And if you want to do it right now, you can place faith in Jesus. Like, right now. Say, God, save me. And if you have some questions, go, I don't really know what that means. Or maybe you decide to do that right now and you want to tell us about it so you can celebrate baptism. Now would be an awesome time to do that. Don't walk away if you don't know Jesus. But for those of us that do, 
whatever that looks like. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. I could run through my notes again, but I think he's speaking to some of us. And so let this song be a prayer of, God, I'm coming to the altar and I'm gonna receive your forgiveness and we're gonna celebrate that you're our savior. I'm not the savior, amen? You're not the savior, he is. So let's stand and sing this like we mean it.